Good morning, church. Wow, you guys are raring to go. I love this. Usually people are out talking, but y'all are ready. You're in your seats and ready to worship. That's awesome. Today, every week we've been, um, this month so far, we're talking about our country and just the prayer need of our future, even today. And um, so, but before I we sing a patriotic song, we're just going to do a one verse of one. I want to... Um, read something. This came in through an email of mine, and it was impactive in my own heart, and I hope it will be for yours. The Privilege of Corporate Worship. Ron Boyd, who's with Open Doors, um, writes, it's so easy to get get fed up with church. For years, I got very little out of church. The sermons were boring. The music was embarrassing. The fellowship was non-existent. The whole experience of worshiping with other people felt stale and pointless. Don't raise your hand, but you might feel that way. Honestly, that's true sometimes. Going to church in my country was an endurance test until I visited a persecuted church. There were 50 of us squeezed into an upstairs room. The singing was hushed. The neighbors were hostile to the fellowship. Does that sound familiar? Then a preacher stood up. An old man with a wiry frame and wisps of hair springing from a mole on his chin. No sooner had he spoken a sentence than he broke down in tears. He kept saying, I never thought I would have the privilege of preaching again. Then he would laugh. Then he would cry again. Great wails and sobs. Soon everyone was weeping with him except me. This went on for about half an hour and I began to get fed up with it all. He kept speaking a line, and my translator kept saying, it's the same verse, it's the same verse. All this man did was repeat the same scripture phrase, burst into tears, laugh, and then speak the very same phrase again. I thought, what kind of hopeless service is this? But afterwards, I met the old man. And when I heard his story, I repented of my attitude. He was a preacher, ordained in the late 1950s in China, He pastored a church for only six months before it was closed down. He was jailed, spending 20 years in prison. After he got out, he was very ill for a long time. But finally, at age 77, had the strength to speak again. I had witnessed his first sermon in 31 years. No wonder he broke down. I tried to imagine what it must have been like holding the word of God inside for 31 years, not knowing whether you would ever again preach. Then suddenly, being allowed to do so, how do you preach a sermon after silence of 31 years? No wonder he was overcome. He said, I never thought I would get the privilege of speaking the word to a gathered group of Christians with their Bibles open ever again. Through the long years of prison, I thought that experience would never return. And when it came, as you saw, all I could do was choke out the verse that kept going. Sing his praises in the assembly of the faithful. Today, we have the same experience. Not to that degree yet, but it's coming. If the devil has his way, if the prince of the power of this earth has his way, he will shut us up, he will close these doors, and we will have to also go in hiding and silently maybe sing a song. I've started writing my scriptures that I read that mean something to me in a journal just in case they ever take you version off my phone or take my Bible. 
We better start memorizing songs, too, because when the day comes, if he tarries, I'm praying he doesn't, but if he does, it's coming. So today I would like to pray for the persecuted church. We have friends even in our own county that's experienced some of that. It's, it's slight compared to that, but it's still persecution. So let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I read this morning that everything is yours. The cattle on a thousand hills is yours. And you see our sacrifices even. You, as a matter of fact, it said our constant sacrifices. But the greatest thing that you love, even over our just doing our duty every week, coming in, doing our duty, doing our duty, more than that, you love a sacrifice of thankfulness. So today, we want to offer a sacrifice of thankfulness in that we have had freedom for 200 and plus years to come into a church building, to corporately worship with brothers and sisters. And yet, around the world, there are those that have to secretly go and do this. Oh, God, build us up. Make us strong. That will only be done in the word as we read it and then fellowship with your people. Thank you today that I get to stand here and sing with my brothers and sisters. God, I pray that they will sing louder than they've ever sung before and that the message will just penetrate our hearts to make change in us, that we will look more like Jesus, sing more like Jesus, be thankful more like Jesus. In your precious son's name we pray, amen. My country, tears of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride,
true freedom comes from. Mm, that cross, that precious cross. I count on one thing, the same God that's never failed will not fail me now. He won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God that's never late will not fail me now. He's working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in your slowest valley. Yes, I will raise your Oh yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy with all my days. Oh yeah, I will with all my days. Oh yes, I will. Count on one thing, the same God. Fail me now. You won't fail me now. 
Whatever he says, we will too. Here's a new song that has got such beautiful words, and I pray today as you sing them that you will, um, again, remember the cross and what he's done for us and the freedom we have through that cross. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless grace.
through another week. I'd like to pray for the leaders of our nation, the leaders of our state, and our local leaders as we go through some trying times here with the pandemic and the election and just all the turmoil that's going on. Um, we thank you for allowing us all to gather here today together and to worship you and to praise you. And we ask that you would open our hearts as we prepare to hear the message and help us through this next week. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad you're here today. I just wanted to make a couple of things uh, say before we get into the message. Um, first of all, um, uh, offering uh, envelopes are there in front of you if you'd like to use those. We do have offering plates in the back, and uh, we will not be passing offering plates. Um, and then also connection cards. If you have a prayer request, something's going on in your life, and uh, you would like for us to pray with you. We'd love to do that or praise. And um, so uh, fill those out and then drop those in the offering plate as well. Am I on, Tyson? You good? All right. All right. And uh, so uh, we ask you to share what's going on in your life so that we can help you in any way. Uh, we, we're here for you. Uh, we truly are. We're glad that you are here today. You know, I, I know it may have been a, a, a rough week for some of you. I've already heard, you know, uh, you know, Joe and Mike, they had their cabin burned down and uh, different things like that, you know, and sickness and, uh, you know, people in the hospital. And it's so good to be here and to have the health to be here and to have such a beautiful setting to worship the Lord. If you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn to the book of James and, and grab your sermon notes if you have those. You like to take notes to the book of James. I said last Sunday we were going to watch a video uh, about Aaron and the ministry he's getting involved in. And we decided after the service that it would be best to show it next week because uh, there will be um, additional information that 
he wants to share. So that'll be next week. So James chapter 4 this morning, Pastor James of the Church of Jerusalem is writing this letter to several churches. And as he writes, he, he starts off with, uh, with uh, who he is, identify, and he goes into chapter 1, talk about uh, uh, things that happen to us in our life. And, and throughout the book of James, there are 22 questions that is given by James. And uh, these questions are very revealing to us. They're, they're digging questions. You know, in the Bible, there are 3,100 questions. Now, I did not count them, but I'll have to take somebody's word for it. So this works out approximately about 10% of the Bible is nothing but questions. And, and so questions are significant. I think God considers questions to be significant. You know, so we think about um, the the book that has the most questions, it's interesting, is the book of Job. There are about 375 questions in the book of Job. And it's interesting because Job answers one of the greatest questions that we all have in our heart as we go through life. Why do bad things happen? Why, why does a good God allow those things to happen in our life? And Job, Job goes through a series of questioning God. And Job was a good man. He loved God, he, and yet he experienced great suffering. And Job comes around and he questions God. He gives God a bunch of questions. And then God flips it around and gives Job a bunch of questions that only God could answer. And Job had remained silent. And Job responds with the silence because he, he, can't, he can't answer them. And so in God's questions to Job was an answer to Job's questions. Job's conclusion that in this life, we won't get all of our questions answered. We will trust God and his character beyond our understanding of his ways. There are some things we just won't know the answer. But we'll trust God and his character that he is good and he is holy. You know the first question of the Bible? The first question of the Bible was given to Eve by the devil, and it was a question that attacked the character of God. It said, did God really say that? Did he really mean that? Did, you know, you can't eat the forbidden fruit. Well, if you eat it, you're going to be like, God, he knows that, and so he's keeping something good from you. So Satan's first question and comments were meant to slander God, to cause somebody to doubt God and his goodness, his holiness. Satan wants us to doubt the character of God and so that we won't believe or trust his word. So we come today, maybe you have a question on your mind. You have a heart that's, you know, filled with some questions. Uh, let me say this, you're at a good place for those questions. There's a God that loves you, and the God that wants to help you with those questions. But understand this, that in those questions, it might be that God will give you questions that will be the answer to your questions. And so be open to that. So James writes this letter, and he writes, and he, and he gives us 22 questions that just dig deep into our heart. They're digging questions. 
So he writes to these churches, and he's writing and thinking about what's happening in these churches, and, 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 and it's very relevant because these were things that he had heard about these churches, and so he writes these, these letters, and these, these, uh, this letter, and the points of this letter to help these churches of what's going on. And so for today, at the end of chapter 4, from, from verse uh, excuse me, 11 to 17, we're going to read, and we're going to find that there are going to be two questions that are given of those 22 questions. And they are this, who made you our judge? And then the other question is, what is life? And so in this question, in these questions, we're going to look at some answers that, that James gives and that he gives answers to those questions. So let's look in James chapter 4, and we'll begin reading verse 11. And James says, he says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. And we could also add sisters, because it was to a church, it meant to brothers and sisters, the church family. He said, the one who speaks against a brother or sister or judges his brother or sister speaks evil against the law and the judges and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But you who are, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? There's the second question. This is, uh, we've looked at the 18th question, and now here's the 19th question. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanish, and instead, you ought to say, if the Lord's will, we will live, do this or that. And as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. A common thread in the book of James is about our words, uh, controlling our tongue. I mean, you know, uh, that little member gets us into trouble a lot, doesn't it? You know, and we say something and we don't mean to say it or we're not thinking, you know, uh, about what we're saying and boy, then it's off and the battle's on. And so James talks about here in this passage, and, and, it, and it refers this to more than once about making a judgment. Now, in the context, again, we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, again, James uh, deals with this issue because there was evidently a problem in these churches. And so James is saying, now here's, here's how you can take away the problem of, of the division that's happening there, the divisiveness is this, and to keep this peace and unity that every church longs for and wants to have. And, and I'm so thankful that we do have a great spirit in our church, and that's to your credit as God working in us and through us. And I appreciate that very much. And, and you know, at this time of season of life, with what's happening in our world, and, and it seems like things are upside down, but yet we are maintaining a focus that's steadfast to keeping our eyes on Jesus, and we're resisting to cause, allow what's happening in the world to come in among us. We're fighting that. We don't want that, and we resist the devil's plan to, to divide and to destroy us. Our country is, is in, a, in, a, in a fragile position. 
And we're praying for uh, our leadership to, 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 to lead rightly and, and that we will uh, have a platform that will lead us to peace and unity. We pray for that. We pray for, for a platform that has this, you know, that, that's uh, pro-life and, and that, 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 that looks to life with, with liberty and, and freedom for all. And we love that. And so when James is looking at it, he says, now listen, when we see this, and we talk about this, it, that there ought to be a caution with the words that we say, and there ought to be a, uh, uh, as we go forward and, and we say things, that we need to be careful lest we be a cause of, of division and, and explosiveness in among us. And so it goes into, so let's look into this verse 11. Let's go back to verse 11. And James says, he says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. And I remind you again, this is the churches. And so this is in, in a church setting. It's not talking about, you know, about outside of those that are away from and far from God or, or don't have God in their life. This is talking about in the context of a church, okay? It says, don't speak evil against one another. So let's define what this means, speaking evil, all right? So, so it, uh, Barclay says this. It's a, it's a word that's translated from katilia, which is a Greek word. And it means the sin of those who meet in corners and gather in little groups and pass on confidential, confidential information which destroys the good name of those who are not there to defend themselves. So we're not to talk against other people in a destructive way with the intention of putting them down. All right? So a word for this is slander. It's what, what, the, what the devil did, you know, back in the, the first question. Try to divide, try to put down what God said. So speaking unfavorably about a person, especially if they're not present. You ever heard this, the, the phrase backbiter, you know, somebody that bites you in the back and you don't know what's going on, but, but there's the words. Speaking negative about a person behind your back. Creating a narrative that includes false information about a person that defames them. And I think if we're honest, we've all experienced that. We've been the one who people have talked about us behind our back. We know how harmful that is. We know how, how that affects us. You know, Jesus certainly experienced this over and over again in his life. And it was happening in the churches there. And let's resist that happen in our churches today and in among us. You know, when people slander, I believe that, you know, they believe what they're saying is, it may be true to them, you know, at least most of us. And then to get maybe favor, they might make a point so that others will side with them and, and they might embellish something. Or they might add points to make it convincing. You might hear in that conversation, well, you know, they never do this, or they always do this. You know, that's embellishing, that's adding. You know, is that really true? And so this is speaking evil against on it, and it has to do with character assassination. And I believe the reasons why that we do this as brothers and sisters in Christ. I think we do this. I think uh, criticism, this judgmental spirit happens because, you know, maybe we need to boost our own self-image. 
that we're pointing out someone else's failure and tearing them down makes us seem a little bit better, at least in our own eyes. It, uh, it maybe add to our ego or self-image. Maybe it's pride. The failure of weakness makes us look good. Need you hear what happened to them? You know they're that way. It makes us maybe feel a bit better. Sometimes it's enjoyed. Tendency in our human nature to take pleasure in hearing and sharing bad news and reveling in the shortcoming of others. You know, <laughs> I, I think the ratings of news today would go way down if all they reported is good news. <laughs> you know, there's so much news today that is so, and, and, and it helps the ratings. We, we gravitate toward the human nature toward that. Criticism points out to our friends how weak they are and how strong we are. Criticism gives good feelings because our, maybe of our rigid beliefs and strong lives are proven again by our brother's failure, making ourselves again look good. And sometimes I think it's just an outlet for hurt and revenge. It's a way of getting back at a person because they've hurt. We think they deserve it. It's a reaction to what's happened to us. And we become the judge. We become the, 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 to make uh, someone else uh, suffer. Instead of letting our holy judge take care of it, his place where he will take care of and revenge when need to be. We're going to take, we take judicial action and so speaking about a bad person, we can create a form of revenge. We say those words because we're hurt. And you said this, that hurting people hurt others. So we have to resist that. You know, slander exists only when two things happen. Number one, first, there is a willing listener. James saying, if you want to eliminate slander in your church family and your friends and your family, your, your personal life, don't be a willing audience to someone who wants to talk negative about another person. It stops it. My wife and I have dealt with many couples over the years, and one of the common scenarios that we have, you know, when dealing with, with husband, and, and sometimes this is the most extreme case uh, where this fits um, uh, time and time again of, of what he said and she said. And so we'll have one of our friends who have been having marriage problems, and, and we go and meet, and, and you know, and I, I'll go and meet with the husband, and he'll share what is happening with the marriage, and, and I return home. I say, Cindy, you know, uh, that, that man's wife, man, she's got some issues. You need to go talk to her and help her. And so she'll get in her car. She'll have coffee with that individual, and, and she'll come home, and she'll say, wait, do you know there, there's another side of this story that you haven't heard? And we back up and say, yeah, uh, you're right. Listen, there is always, always two sides of a story. I've gotten myself in more trouble in my life than I care to recall and care to, re, you know, to share when I have just listened just one side of a story. <laughs> 
You see, number two, the reason a slander exists not only as a willing listener, but number two, the slander exists when there is only one side of the story. If, if we stop the slandering, if, if we say to an individual and say, you know what, uh, hey, I hear what you're saying. Well, let's go and talk to that person. And you know, nine times out of 10, that, that's gonna cease right there. It's gonna put the brakes on, on a situation. The slander will shut up. You see, the goal of one who slanders is to put someone down so they may be self-elevate in front of others. They lift themselves by putting others down. And they can only do this if you listen and you agree or you side with them. That's the goal of a slander. In church, we must strive for oneness. And we can do this if we don't talk negative about each other, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We want that oneness. We want that peace. We want that spirit that is like Christ that dwell among us and in us and through us. Maybe you have heard this, you know, when you're, you're fighting with your brothers or sisters. I had two sisters. And of course, I was outnumbered, but I usually tried to, to, to make that uh, even. And my mom would always say, and maybe your mom would always say, says, now listen, if you can't say anything nice, you don't what? Say anything at all. But it stops it. Now, my friend, you say, well, you know, is there any time that we're off? It doesn't mean that we shouldn't confront a brother and sister in sin. You see, there's a difference between slander and, and, you know, judging and the judgment of spirit and, and accusation. And, and there's a big difference. Uh, slander has the idea that, that uh, pulls the person down, wants to put them down, and lifts up the one who is speaking that is negative, that they may look good. Accusation, this is what, it, 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 Paul, Paul talks about, you know, church discipline, talk about there's confrontation if there's sin, and, and yes, that we find that sin is that we don't tell uh, somebody, we go to that person, talk to them, and the whole goal of this accusation, the whole goal of confrontation, the whole goal of saying something is wrong in a person's life is to what? To bring them up out of that. That's the big difference. One wants to put down. One says these things, listen, I want to help you. I, I, I see you're doing something that you shouldn't. Listen, you, do you realize that the path that you're taking, that this is destructing, it's going to destroy, it's going to hurt your marriage, it's going to hurt your family, it's going to hurt your testimony? Do you realize that the, the, the name of Jesus Christ is going to be, be uh, you know, uh, you know uh, hindered or, not, or hurt because of the actions that you're taking? So the accusation is to, is to, is to bring it. It's simple, it's simple uh, uh, like one is subtraction and one is addition. One is moving forward and one is moving backward. I think of Jesus Christ. I, you know, I, I don't, I can't, I can't ever find in the scripture where Jesus Christ would ever, you know, he accused people and he accused them to their face. But I don't ever find that when Jesus was walking and, and he says, you know, and as he's walking with John and Peter's way back there and he says, hey, you see what Peter did? You don't find Jesus doing that. You know, you don't find where, where, where he's walking with Peter and John somewhere else. Do you know what John did? Can you believe that? You believe that what John did? 
Jesus did not do that. And of course, James is telling, listen, that ought not to happen in a church. And, and he's just directly confronting in a loving way this, uh, these churches through this point. So verse 11, let's go to this verse 11. Let's do the rest of this verse. It says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. They're, the one that who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. James says that slander does two things. First of all, it goes against the law, the royal law. We talked about this earlier in James and how that the royal law is this love God and love people. And I'll add this, we are to love people like God loves us. So it goes against this royal law. How can, how can we say that we love someone? Because it's difficult to say that I love others while throwing them under the bus. <laughs> it's difficult to say that. God doesn't do that. And he doesn't do that to us. He doesn't go around whispering and talking bad about us to others. He'll confront us in a loving way. But he doesn't do that. Number two, what, what this does is our relation to the law is to obey. Not to sit as a judge to, to use the law to destroy our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our relationship to the law is simply to obey the law, not be concerned about who's obeying the law, who's not, you know, just focus on yourself. That in itself is a full-time job, believe me. I need to take care of myself. Verse 12, there's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy the resting, talk about to save and destroy. He is, only has the power. He only has the authority to save and destroy. He, he is the one that will divide, you know, the wheat and the tares, the weeds and that which is fruitful, pro, uh, producing fruit. He is the one who sits in that place. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Question. Who are we to sit in judgment? You know, I think we make terrible judges. We don't have what Judge Judy has. <laughs> well, Judge Judy, she gets right in their face, and she just makes those. And I wonder sometimes, how did she get that judgment? We don't have what Judge Judy We don't have what it makes to make good judges. And God, and the only God, is the perfect judge. Because he has the whole story. He knows both sides. Let's, let's not be quick to speak, but let's be slow to answer, slow to speak. He knows the outside truth as well as the deep inside corners of the hearts. He knows the upside as well as the downside. He has all the facts laid out before him. He has the, he has the, the ability to make the right judgment. And so let's leave it in God's hands. He is the perfect judge as he knows all the facts for making a judgment about our brothers and sisters in Christ. We make terrible judges because our knowledge is partial. We may think somebody does what they do because of this, but we really don't know. 
And so leave that. Let God work with it and give and be gracious to, to those. There was a lady in an airport who bought a book to read and a package of cookies to eat while she waited for her plane. Where after she'd taken her seat in the terminal and began to read this book, she noticed that the man sitting one seat away from her was fumbling to open up the package of cookies on the seat between them. While she could hardly believe her eyes that a stranger would just open her bag of cookies and eat them. He took one and ate one. So was she hot and steamy. She reached into the bag and took one and ate it. Well, the man didn't say anything. He just reached over and took another cookie. The, the woman thought to herself that she wasn't going to let him eat all of her cookies, so she took another cookie. And when they finally got down to one cookie, the man reached into the bottom of the bag, broke the cookie in half, ate it, and glared at the woman. Got up and left. This lady could not believe this man's nerve. She was thinking to herself how fresh and how arrogant he was, and soon the announcement came to board the plane. A lady gets on the plane. She's still bothered by this. She's steaming hot. And she looks at the audacity of this man who sat down and, and, and uh, excuse me, she sat down and buckled her seatbelt, reached in her purse for a tissue. And there was her bag of cookies. <laughs> we make terrible judges because we just don't know the whole story. We think we know why others do what they do. But only God does. As I said, I've made many rash judgments that I've regretted over the years about people because I didn't know the whole story. Didn't give them the benefit of the doubt. Didn't give them grace. Didn't let God be the judge. I sometimes would play the Holy Spirit. I thought what they needed. But God is the one who knows the whole story and knows what best. We make terrible judges, number two, because we can have impure motives. You know, we act out of fear and hurts and selfishness. Our hearts are deceitful. We think we're doing good, but sometimes, you know, it's, there's something that's broken inside us. See, God is the perfect judge as his motives are always pure. He always knows the whole story and he always takes the evidence and does, always does the right thing because he's not broken, we are. He is whole. He can do the right thing. His motives are always pure. Number three, and we make terrible judges because, you know, sometimes... We, we have a short fuse, and we cry for justice, not mercy. They had them coming to it. They broke the law. We're heavy on the law side, if we're honest. We want people to pay. We want people to... God has demonstrated to all of us that he is more merciful towards us than he is with justice. God is the perfect judge because he, he is most merciful. He is merciful. And if we're being honest about it, how God treats us, he truly has been merciful. He hasn't given us what we deserve. He does not. James said this in James chapter 2 and verse 13. We read this 
Earlier, we are to be merciful to others as God is merciful to us. So let's not sit in a place of judging and condemning as God is the only person to judge our brothers and sisters in Christ. There are six times, excuse me, there are seven times lawgivers used in the New Testament, six in the Old and, and once in the New Testament. And God has the only right to judge because the lawgiver is referring to God himself every time. And true it is of James, that the lawgiver is God. It isn't our place to play the role of judge, especially when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Christ. He has not commissioned you or gifted you to a judgmental negative spirit towards others. Question James gives us, wrapped up in that, who is your judge? Do my words build someone up or do they tear them down? I want to submit today from this day forward, let's not speak evil and bad about one another. Let, let's love people right where they are and let the Holy Spirit be the one who convicts. Let whatever, as Paul said in Philippians, whatever is good, Whatever is lovely, come out of that which is only good and report is spoken. So let God be God who takes care of his children. Let's, try, let's quit managing his Let God take care of his children. You know, I know many of you work in a very hostile environment on your job at school. Maybe it's your neighborhood. Maybe it's your friends. It could even be your friend, your family. It's so hostile. You know, this is very common that, that you sometimes you sit in at your desk or you're at work and, and you get six or eight hours of constantly of people being torn down in front of you and they're saying this and they're saying that about each other. Listen, you can be caught up in that. That's not what a Christian does. Let's not get caught up in that of tearing people down. Let's be different. Let's stand out as a light in, in a dark world, and, and, and uh, we are standing out because we're all going to talk about that which builds up and helps people. I'm not going to get into, you know, the, 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 you know, the stuff that's happening in our culture that pushes people down. Let's raise up and say, let's talk about what was good, which is right. So how do you put away a judgmental spirit? I'm going to give you a couple things, four things. First of all, remember that you'll be judged by the same standard that I use, that you use to judge others. Remember that I will be judged by the same standard that I use to judge others. Matthew says this, and it's interesting, James is, is, a, is very parallel to the truth on the Sermon on the Mount. It says this in Matthew chapter 7, it says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is a standard by which you'll be judged. So be careful, my friend. Understand that, that what you judge is going to come around back. The message puts it like this. It says, don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Do you want that? No. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. 
It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be obvious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your face is distorted by contempt? It is this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. So never forget that we sow what we reap. It comes back to us. That judging will come back. Number two, remember that each of us is accountable God. One day we'll stand before God and give account for every deed and every thought in our life. Let's stand before God. We who may play like a judge are going to stand above the judge of all judges, the king of kings, Jesus Christ himself. He knows also how and why we say things. He knows the motives of our hearts, the intents. Number three, remember how much God has been merciful to me. He has not given what I deserve. God is a gracious God, and that's the way we want to be towards others. The fourth thing that will help us is remember how short life is. We're here today and gone tomorrow from verses 13 to 17. Ask the second question in this passage. You say, you know, today we're going to do this and tomorrow, and we've got plans, and, you know, we're going to do it. You do not know tomorrow. What is your life? For a mist appears for a little time and then vanishes. Billy Graham, the great evangelist who has, done, who has gone on to glory, was said, what, what is it that life that you can tell us, you know, something you learned in? And it was this, the brevity of life. We have this short time to make an eternal difference. It's we must be careful about the words that we use and the actions that we have in our life. Would you bow your heads in prayer? Every head bowed, every eye closed. This morning, I first addressed it. If you're here to not, do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you to come to a gracious God, a merciful God. It's a God that loves you. He wants to not put you down, but he wants to pull you up to a place called heaven. Have this relationship with him. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter what you've said. Because God's grace is greater than all, any sin, all our sin. And truly, it is amazing grace. This moment, say, God, I accept you. I accept all that you've given me. And I trust you. Heavenly Father, you have set the stars in place to demonstrate how majestic your power is. You've created the smallest unseen cell to reveal your incredible knowledge. You pull back the curtain to show how much you love us by giving your only son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. 
such a grace, merciful God. We are grateful and accept your precious gift of salvation. You have showed also your wisdom in making your son, Jesus Christ, the one who sits as the judge of the whole world. God, that's your wisdom that you would do that. Thank you, Father, that you have installed the perfect judge in the supreme court of heaven to hear our case as we stand before that judge who also is our Savior. That he condemns us, but then he does the time for us. He embraces our guilty verdict so that we won't have to. God, we see your wisdom in pointing Jesus as the one to judge us all. And Father, help us to not be in the place of where the Holy Spirit is to be convicting or where the, where the judge where Jesus is, is taking care of people. God, help us to just focus on ourselves and our relationship and our obedience to you. Now, Father, help us to resist. Being judgmental towards our brothers and sisters. To have a holier-than-thou attitude. And that we'll love people right where they're at, knowing that we are all in a process of growing up to be like our son. And we're at different spots in our life. Help us to use our words and our comments to always build people up. From this day forward, God, use us to construct, to make people better because of our words, because of our actions. We say this in the precious name, in the gracious name, the judge of all judges, Jesus Christ. Amen. If we can help you in any way, please let us know. Come talk to us after the services. There's a connection card and the steps about spiritual growth. We'll be glad to help you. We truly are. We mean to help and to encourage you in any way that we can. At this time, we're going to have a communion. And for those who would like to, to take communion, you're welcome to this. You don't have to. This is something that you would just like to sit out. And that's totally fine. I want to say that the goal of communion is, is not about establishing a relationship with God. The faith that God gives us to believe in Jesus Christ is enough. There's no good works needed to earn your place with God, and this isn't part of, you know, getting in good with God. The goal of communion is fellowship in our relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, God wants us to, to reflect on our lives. It's kind of like an adjustment some of you, and I heard my daughter went to a chiropractor this week, and whole family, and they got an adjustment, you know, got back in line. Communion is like that in our relationship, in our fellowship with God. God wants us to reflect on our lives and how we're living as a child of God. We're to confess and correct anything that hurt our relationship with God. And we're also to go back to the cross and remember it and bring it fresh 
all the senses of the, of the cross and when we came to know Jesus and the suffering Savior and how Jesus died for us and what that means to us. So before we begin, I, I just want to begin to pray and, and give you the opportunity to, if there's anything that's out of sort with God, this is the time to do that. Father, we come to confess as, as cleansing our hearts, as cleansing our hands before we sit at your table, that we may participate and have the sweet fellowship of this, of this uh, event that you've asked us to, to observe together as a church. And so, Father, we come before you, whatever's on our heart, this time, God, we know that you're faithful and just to forgive us all our sins as we confess them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to take communion, what I'm going to ask you is to stand and just come out into the middle aisle and then come to the sides here and uh, get the, uh, the cup. And so just make your way forward right now. We have a disposable cups like we did last time. So grab those cups, then go back to your seat, and we'll give you further instructions for that as well. those that may be new to our church, every third Sunday we observe uh, communion, and so this is being our third Sunday. Um, we, as a lot of things in life, we kind of got out of that pattern, and so we're getting back into the pattern for the third Sunday, having communion. So, uh, first of all, it may be a little difficult, but there's a little plastic um, covering that you pull off first of all and it'll reveal a little symbolic piece of bread so you pull that off as we think about this and that Jesus that, that there were some elements that are associated with this and the element the bread is the broken body of Jesus Christ and let's go back to that scene look up Jesus Realize how broken he was for us. The suffering and the pain 
to death for you and I. Father, we are thankful for every moment, for every second that you're willing to suffer for us. God, we do not know the magnitude of what this meant to you. So help us. Help us start growing in our knowledge of how you suffered for us. How precious that is to us. You're willing to do that for us. We'll be forever grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take The cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ, so if you'll open that. And again, goes back to the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, his blood was spilled out. And then his blood was placed upon the mercy seat for eternity. And I'm so thankful that that's an eternal blood that covers us in that mercy seat our sin. Father, there's no other blood, there's no other life that could cover all our sins. It was a pure blood. Your life was holy. Jesus Christ was the only sacrifice that could be acceptable unto God for us. We're thankful for that. That we stand as children of God under the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's take the cup. I want to ask the worship team to come at this time. I'm going to ask all of you to stand. And I'll be down here in the front if you have any questions that we can help you anyway. So please stand as we sing this last closing song. Great song. The verse that stuck out to me is the lawgiver and the judge is perfect, who is God, who is Jesus, and his spirit, if we know him, lives in us. And we can do anything with Christ in us. But it's a consciousness and a mindfulness to say and let him do what he needs to do through us. So as we sing these words, just think about that.
just love that song. It's my new fave. I hope y'all didn't mind singing it twice a day, but 
May that ring in our hearts this week that it's his power in us that we can do and accomplish anything his word says. So go with God. Have a great blessed week. Mm -hmm.